Little boxes on the hillside Little boxes made of ticky-tacky Little boxes on the hillside Little boxes all the same There's a pink one and a green one And a blue one and a yellow one And they're all made out of ticky-tacky And they all look just the same And the people in the houses all went to the university where they were put in boxes and they came out all the same and there's doctors and lawyers and business executives and they're all made out of ticky-tacky and they all look just the same and they all play on the golf course and drink their martinis dry and they all have pretty children and the children go to school and the children go to summer camp and then to the university where they are put in boxes and they come out all the same and the boys go into business and marry and raise a family in boxes made of ticky-tacky and they all look just the same there's a pink one and a green one and a blue one and a yellow one and they're all made out of ticky-tacky and they all look just the same. You're listening to CITR 101.9 FM broadcasting from the traditional ancestral unceded territory of the Musqueam people. Good evening, everybody. Thank you for listening. Tonight is going to be a different sort of show. For those of you familiar with my show, you may be expecting a familiar drum roll with our show's announcer, Reese Foyer, saying, live from Studio A, it's Sandyland Radio with Andrew Willis. No, not tonight. I say hello. I uh, go into my show, I, I greet you all with my day, and then I go into introduce guests and performers. This is all the typical stuff that happens when I do my show. We play some games, talk about the news, share some laughs, and it's a very forward-moving show with lots of upbeat elements, music, and good fun. We had a scripted show much like that planned earlier this week. In fact, as early as five hours ago with many talented performers and voices, but tonight's show is going to be very different. In fact, we have not had time to rehearse the show, and the last three hours has been a scramble to research and write out a new script with lots of fun facts and information. I'm right now having a mild panic attack. I'm, I'm a little bit tripped out, but this is what happens when you do a show differently. To give you an idea of how we do our show, typically we begin writing for the following Wednesday show on a Thursday. By Saturday, we have an idea of how it's going to look. By Sunday, we have music selected. The guests confirm. Monday, the show begins to take shape. And Tuesday, we throw in any segments that uh, might be more relevant as news begins to develop closer to the show's broadcast date. On the Wednesdays, we tape and air live. Around 5 p.m., I come into the studio here at CITR and do a final writing of the show. That's when all the last-minute news is added and tweaks are made. At 9.30 p.m., we go into Studio B and do a stagger-through with myself and my guests, which is really just a fancy technical show term in business land. Um of saying that we just rehearse the show for voice tracking uh, where there's, you know, only the first or last 10 seconds of each song played. And then we go and do any last minute changes and it's all done there. At 10 o'clock, 
there is a hush that comes over the studio. We chug our water or high-powered caffeine, go for a final washroom break, and we do all this before we go into the large studio A that is very fancy and also very food and drink non-friendly, non-compliant. It's very unfortunate. I'm really craving water right now. The cameras are tested. We do sound checks. At 10.25, I get very nervous. I think, why am I doing this? I should have gone into a business uh, as a honey farmer. I freak out and think, oh my God, I'm chained to this chair for an hour. And I should have went to the bathroom a second time. And then at 10.30 Pacific, 12.30 Central, the control board lights up. The automation system is set to manual. The sound dims. The intro is cued. And the controls go over to my mics and sound inputs. And with a drum roll... We go live on air and broadcast our tight one-hour format music and talk radio show. And from there, it is very forward-moving. In fact, things happen on the fly, and we work them into the show, and we produce a show that is inclusive, lighthearted, funny, and informative. At 10.30 p.m., my headphones come off. I sign off, do some paperwork. I'm out of the studio and grabbing a cheeseburger at the McDonald's nearby, and I'm calling Tyler or my friend Emily. Shout out to her. Um, And we're talking about what our weekend plans may be. That is a typical Wednesday. This week was very different. This week, something very new and forward-moving, something much larger than myself and the show was happening, and I had to step in and do something about it. Something personal in the news happened that reignited my enthusiasm for public policy, and that event is what happened to make it on the show today. I reached out to my program manager only five hours ago saying that something really impactful had happened, and... It had a tacit plan to go against public policy or human rights code in this province, and locally it would affect our students in our classrooms, both at UBC and primary and secondary school classrooms province-wide. In fact, the implications of it affecting students Canada-wide is what strongly challenged me to do something different tonight. So I asked, do I go along with the format of my show, knowing that it's going to be airing in less than five hours, I don't have time to really rewrite anything and ignore the news that has engaged me, or do I engage it and use my hour on air to affect something greater than myself? Just to give you a little bit of background here on our corporate structure at the network at CITR 101.9 FM, we are in a privileged position where we are not sponsored or held accountable to advertisers. We are a station on unceded territory that operates based on fees paid by students. While some of us, including myself, make sponsorship deals using our own show franchises, they are separate from the inner operations and workings here in the studio. A note to my product sponsor, by the way, People Footwear. If you want to run away from my show after hearing today's broadcast, you have more than any reason to do so. Your shoes, you can run them. Run away from me as far as you can. That is fine with me. But we have something very important to talk about today that is bigger than my show, bigger than any sponsor, and um, we need to address it. But there is a key message today that I will be delivering instead of the show that we had planned. It is not an argument for or against religion, but an argument for education, which has proven itself to be the thing that divides us and affects most of us who are lacking. And hosting my show on a network that does not have to deal with the flack of losing advertisers and sponsors means that I have the agency to speak on topics that I feel strongly about. Topics which, if on any other network, may, uh, other words, inflame consumers to spend their money elsewhere or boycott the advertisers or network, leading to my show being pulled off the air. 
Now, this cannot happen at CITR, and as someone who will be working in broadcasting, say at NBC Universal, Time Warner, Viacom, Bell Media, Rogers Media, or Netflix, I know that this is something that could happen on those networks, which is why it's important that I take this opportunity now here at CITR to address the issue that is on my heart. Last week, a story surfaced regarding an individual who's running for the Burnaby School District named Laura Lynn Thompson who is using her public plat- platform and resources to fight against SOGI in elementary and secondary school classrooms. For those of you who do not know, SOGI is an acronym which stands for Sexual Orientation and Gender Identity in the Classrooms, or more historically considered, the inclusion of LGBTQ2 plus education in sexual health and personal development education. Immediately, I was stunned that this was a topic that was even up for debate. How is it that we are still debating whether or not people should be included in their own personal, sexual, and mental health in classrooms? It stuns me. We know it to be true that when we talk about otherness and include marginalized peoples into the conversation, bullying and perceptions of stigma are reduced. We saw this when segregation was lifted, pregnant mothers being allowed to attend secondary school, uh, gay and lesbian health and family structures uh, being discussed openly and freely within a classroom, and of course condoms being provided by counselors, school nurses for students to prevent STIs and to protect in students' reproductive health. Today, we're seeing the inclusion of trans and other identities being given recognition. This is something that we should be applauding, something in which when I was in school, in high school 10 years ago, uh, this was not something that was discussed, nor had the education been provided or the network or support for uh, people who are transgender or identify as other. Only 10 years ago, the social discourse around transgender rights was limited to margins within the margins. We saw the implications of this, though there was little available evidence to anyone outside of grassroots organizations that any of this was really occurring. Gender identity was not a social discourse 10 years ago. Things have changed, and we are now seeing a new generation of students who are excited to learn about each other, to learn about the growing world, and to learn about circumstances that surround them a world that has expanded through the inclusion of others, and we're seeing this on media, on television. It is happening, finally. Today, we're seeing students accepting and understanding the difference between pre- and post-op surgeries for transgender people, conversations about pansexual, asexual, gay, queer, two-spirited, and transgender topics are being met in classrooms as just normal and comfortable to talk about. This has not always been the case, and this is recently just happening now. There are benefits to a society that, um, that begins when we meet one another with education and interest. There's a growth and diversity among friend groups, a sharing of information that builds meaningful connections. For millennials and Gen Xers who are extremely collaborative and are engaged in their social environment, education uh, on these topics matter, and it does everyone a lot of good. It allows us to move on and be less afraid of ourselves and to be less afraid of each other. Some facts that I'd like to really bring up right now. Uh, A 2014 study based on interviews with 13 trans women found that violence was a a constant threat. From this study, quote, most of the trans women with whom we spoke with had their own stories of lifelong violence, as well as stories that had accumulated from friends. The incidents ran the spectrum from verbal harassment to extreme violence, said the study published by Critical Criminology. We're going to put a link to that study up on our website after the show broadcast. One woman told the researcher that she had been threatened 
and chased by men brandishing knives uh, near a park mall in uh, Kitchener, Ontario. Another said that her teen uh, years were marked by daily violence, that she'd been stabbed and beaten, her teeth knocked out. And again, I will just address that we're going to deal with some sensitive topics. So um, please go forward with caution. Um, Ribs were broken in this case. One of the other subjects uh, said that she feared for her safety in her own apartment. Quote, I've overheard my neighbors at one point in a drunken rage yell that the freak upstairs ought to be knifed. I slept with my doors barricaded. I didn't even feel safe in my uh, own home, she said. Other studies have found similarly high rates of violence. The Trans Pulse Project, which surveyed 433 transgender people in Ontario, found that 20% had been physically or sexually assaulted for being trans. 67% worried that they would die young. And the Canadian Trans Youth Health Survey found that 70% of respondents said that they had been sexually harassed. More than a third of teenage participants ages 14 to 18, very young, said that they were physically threatened or injured in the past year. That survey had 923 trans youth respondents from all 10 provinces in one territory. So to address the sp- uh, person that I spoke about earlier, uh, earlier, Laura Lynn Thompson, or at Laura Lynn TT on Twitter, the woman who is running for a spot on the Burnaby School District for her, who, whatever, none of this matters to her, apparently, um, The fact is, for her, that transgender people, gay people, just people in general, are just perverted. And that they're being radicalized by some liberal agenda. I'm sure you could fill in the blanks. Uh, This is what this woman believes. Uh, Laura Lynn Thompson's bio on Twitter says, quote, Tired of political correctness. Trans ideology must go. Don't tell me how to think. TV host, author, speaker. Stands to see Soji fall. I will not bow. Hashtag the rise. I began my journey into media by studying communications at university. I still am. There is this theory that's called the hypodermic needle model, or you could call it the direct effects model, which has largely been proven to be false or ineffective. To make it simple, the theory suggests that if you continually tell someone something or expose them to a particular media message, they will adopt that message. For Laura Lynn Thompson, this would be her genesis, that students in the classroom having exposure to concepts of gender identity will make students gay or worse. Spooky! Become transgender! This is Laura Lynn Thompson's fear. The same woman who wants to run for the Burnaby School District. So, what is it that Soji teaches? For many of us, including myself, I have not known or been familiar with what Soji really is. I I did not know about it until a few weeks ago. I just assumed that we all, in every classroom, learned how to get along and treat others with respect. That is not the case. Across social media, and flame groups have radicalized what Soji really offers, saying that students will be getting uh, primed to uh, change their gender in mass. But that's not the case. This is what Soji teaches. In kindergarten and grade one, uh, it teaches kids that families come in large shapes and sizes and that some may have one mom, two mom, a dad, a mom, modern life. That is what they teach them in kindergarten and grade one grade four and five. It's going to be teaching students about limitations due to stereotypes uh, that some students may feel or face. There will be uh, exposure about the physical barriers and also the non-visible barriers that students may also um, encounter in life. Again, nothing too radical. 
In grades 8, 9, and 10, it will teach about the many different kinds of discrimination, such as racism, sexism, and sexual harassment. To me, this sounds like basic. SOGI is more than just providing health resources to transgender people or information on reproductive health. It is a social primer for treating one another fairly and positively. Most importantly, it is also protected under the BC Human Rights Code and the Canadian Human Rights Code. Quick, a grade five civics class refresher. Let's do this now. The Canadian Human Rights Act, and of course I'm reading this, because I do, I, there's no way I could remember this off the top of my head, is a statute passed by the Par, uh, Parliament of Canada in 1977 with the express goal of extending the law to ensure equal opportunity to individuals who may be victims of discriminatory practices based on a set of pro- prohibited grounds such as sex, sexual orientation, race, marital status, gender identity or expression, creed, age, color, disability, political or religious belief. Though I must note, uh, religious belief does not mean that religions uh, are discriminated against for not wanting soji. I would highly speculate that religions are protected from one another by offering the same resources uh, to all children uh, if they would like to take those um, offerings. Uh, so any argument that teaching kids how to be kind and respectful to one another uh, infringes on religious beliefs is completely out the window. It is up to the parents if they would like to have their children educated and prepared and primed for the outside world. In 2016, the government uh, of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who, yes, I have had qualms with, but uh, he introduced an act to amend the Canadian Human Rights Act and Criminal Code. It was C-16. It was all in the media uh, two years ago. Uh, in the House of Commons of Canada uh, to add and include gender identity and expression to the legislation. The bill passed uh, the Commons on November 18th, 2016, and the Senate on June 15th, 2017. It received royal assent. Ugh, politics, don't you love that? Royal assent on June 19th, 2017. The law went into effect immediately. So it got the blessing, and there you go. Gender identity and expression is now writ in legislation. Under the BC Human Rights Code, trans people are now protected from discrimination. This is something that we should applaud. Laura Lynn Thompson, who is running for uh, the Burnaby School District, uh, not the case for her. According to her, human rights in Canada, quote, uh, are a wonderful thing, but children are sacred. It's not right for a country that has a charter of rights and freedoms to be infringing and imposing gender fluid ideology onto every child and telling a little boy he can be a little girl. Uh, Laura, ask mothers and fathers everywhere how hard it is to get kids to do almost anything. It is impossible. Again, it is the mentality of I do what I want when you are a kid. I remember it. So a quick recap on sexual orientation and gender identity, or known as SOGI in schools. According to the province of British Columbia's website, SOGI is an inclusive term that represents all individuals regardless of sexual orientation or gender. It includes lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, two-spirited, heterosexual, and cisgender. 19% of BC school uh, students identify as gay, lesbian, bisexual, or not exclusively heterosexual. 1% of BC high school students identify as transgender, and 5% of Aboriginal students identify as two-spirited. In the past 12 months, lesbian, gay, and bisexual youth are seven times more likely than heterosexual youth to attempt suicide. That is 28% versus 4%. Students uh, show that having SOGI-specific anti-bullying uh, policies improves 
the school's climate for LGBT and heterosexual students, reducing discrimination, suicidal ideation, and suicide attempts for all students. So SOGI, as it is appearing, seems to work for students to make students feel safe, to feel included, to feel identified and and identifiable in real life, that they're not pushed to the margins, that they are not excluded in any way from the social discourse. This is where we are today. And people like Laura Lynn Thompson want to move that back. As of December 31st, 2016, all BC school districts and independent schools are required to include specific references to sexual orientation and gender identity, or of course, SOGI, in their anti-bullying policies. What this means is that they're required to identify specific references to sexual orientation. You cannot just say those other people. You have to identify those people as trans, two-spirited, and this is a win. This is a victory for people who are transgender who have not felt that they have been uh, included in the social discourse. This requirement followed uh, the July 2016th edition of Gender and Identity Expression as prohibited ground of discrimination under the BC Human Rights Code, as we had mentioned earlier. BC's new curriculum includes a focus on valuing diversity and respecting differences, and the topics of human rights and responses to discrimination. Teachers, schools, and school districts may explore the BC Human Rights Code uh, within those themes, including but not necessarily limited to sexual orientation and gender identity. So this is coming from the BC government. On the BC government's website, you can find it all there. Sexual health and reproductive health is specifically covered within physical and health education curriculum. That is what happens here in British Columbia. As with uh, previous curriculum, there is an alternative delivery policy. Now, this policy is where if you do not want to have your children attend any of these classes or lecture, uh, lectures or talks or workshops, uh, that is fine. It is, it is your right to not have your child attend these. The uh, alternative delivery policy that enables students and their parents and guardians to consult with their schools and choose means that uh, means other than regular classroom instruction to address the learning standards in this area. Again, as outlined here on uh, the government BC's website, um, you do not have to send your child to experience the transgender fest that is Soji. I mean... It sounds lovely. It sounds amazing. I kind of want to go to Soji. I kind of want to turn Soji into a party. Please invite me. But uh, there is an alternative delivery policy that will allow students to not be inflicted by this radicalized liberal uh, agenda. There are 49 school districts in BC that are part of a network for educators who are interested in SOGI inclusive education. Uh, It is called the BC SOGI Educator Network. Very simple. These districts use SOGI 123. It is a formula, a practice, a curriculum, uh, a resource that provides schools and teachers with ready-to-use, grade-level appropriate lesson plans, online learning modules, and customizable templates and tools that align with BC's new curriculum. Again, there is something out there that is in place. It has been looked over. It has been overseen. There is nothing lewd or outrageous that is going to be exposing and tainting your kindergartners and grade ones to perverse um, activities. The BC SOGI Educator Network is led by the ARC Foundation, 
It is a private foundation based in Vancouver that supports projects that improve the status of those who are marginalized in society by sexual orientation, gender identity, ethnicity, or financial status. Again, very big. These things all go hand in hand. The ARC Foundation developed SOGI 123 in collaboration with the BC Ministry of Education, BC, uh, BC's Teachers Foundation, the University of British Columbia. Hello, right here. Right here. I'm in B- UBC right now. We did this. Uh, and uh, UBC's uh, Faculty of Education out in schools, uh, nine school districts throughout BC. All this, all these people have gone in here. All these experts have looked at this curriculum and addressed it and said, yes, this is appropriate for early childhood education, for early childhood development, for building strong networks and positive relations within schools. But please remind me, you are on Twitter right now, and you are just reading other people's Twitter hate, and that is your expertise. Right. No, that's not the case. Please uh, go to the BC uh, BC government's website, read more about this, go to sogeducation.org. You can look at all this perverse curriculum that's going to be tainting your children. Uh, I say that sarcastically because someone may actually, um, I have to say that it's sarcastic because someone may actually take that for a fact. No, uh, please go to sogeducation.org and read more about this. So for me tonight, and I got to wrap this up because we do a really fast-paced show, and I really appreciate you for listening to me for 26 minutes uh, go about this. But um, it was really important for me to address all this and try to throw it out there and talk about it and hope that someone can hear this and it might change their mind about how they feel about transgender people and the education of um, um, LGBTQ2 plus uh, in schools. So um, thank you. But for me tonight, what I've learned is that Laura Lynn Thompson is what happens when fear, lack of information on the issues, and an obsession with division overrules education. For her tonight and for those who oppose SOGI, on behalf of all of us here at Anderland Radio, CITR 101.9 FM, and the kids who I will always be there for, this list is a reminder for you. Laura Lynn, this list, if you're listening... If you hear this, if you get a copy of the show, I will be sending it to you. Uh, This is a list of transgender people who were murdered. Worldwide, as of 2009, at least one transgender person is murdered every three days on average. The list does not include deaths by suicide, accident, or other causes, if that's how you want to spin this and try to make it sound like it is not an actual thing, that people are not actually uh, actively... uh, pursuing trans people to, uh, to, to hurt and harm them. Nope, that's not the case. This list right here is uh, deaths by murder. Um, this is a list of people who were once children murdered by others because of their lack of education and their separation and division that was perpetuated by hate. So if you're listening to this, Laura, this is for you. Crystal Lee Steele, 42, found dead in her home on January 5th in North Adams, Massachusetts. Uh, Steele organized and produced the Miss Trans New England and other pageants and was loved and known by many in both the local and national trans community. Vicky uh, Gutierrez, 33, a transgender woman from Honduras, was stabbed and had her body set ablaze inside her Los Angeles home on January 10th. Friends describe her as, quote, a young trans Latina immigrant woman whose warm smile would make anyone feel comfortable. Tanya Harvey, 35, was fatally shot on February 6th in Buffalo, New York. 
uh, a friend of Harvey's expressed her condolences on Facebook writing. I knew her since I started transitioning. She was so sweet and loving. Police have confirmed that they're still looking into the incident uh, as a possible hate crime. Celine Walker, 36, was fatally shot in a hotel room on February 4th in Jacksonville, Florida. It is not known. It, it was not known for several days that Walker was trans because local police claimed to not refer to victims as transgender. Investigators are still looking for a suspect in her death. Felicia Mitchell, 45, was shot and killed outside her home on February 23rd in Cleveland, Ohio. On April 10th, Cleveland.com reported that a warrant had been issued for the arrest of Gary Sanders. Sanders was charged with aggravated murder and Mitchell's death. Her longtime partner, Shane Mitchell, described her as a funny and kind and that everyone loved her. Zakaria Fry, 28, went missing in New York in mid-January. Her body was found 40 miles outside of Albuquerque on February 19th. Albuquerque police arrested and charged Charles uh, uh, Spice uh, with two open counts of murder. Fry's loved ones shared condolences on Facebook with one friend saying, you were my older sister. You took care of me and loved me like family. I'll forever love you. I'm sorry. Amia Tyre Berryman, 28, was fatally shot at a local motel on March 26th in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Few details are known about the crime, and police report report that they have no suspects or persons of interest at this time. I'm not doing this. Sasha Wall, 28, uh, 29, a transgender woman of color, was fatally shot on April 1st in Chesterfield, Chesterfield County, South Carolina. The FBI is assisting with local investigators and are analyzing phone records and collecting DNA evidence. Donovan Dunlap, a friend of Wall's, expressed condolences on Facebook, writing, quote, I will miss you, my beautiful sister. I cannot sleep. I hope they find who did this. Carla Patricia Flores Pavon. Uh, 26, was found choked to death in her apartment in Dallas, Texas, on May 9th. Dallas police arrested 24-year-old Jimmy Eugene Johnson III on May May 17th, charging him with Flores Pavone's murder. It hurts uh, a lot. Um, It hurts a lot. Uh, You were a good-hearted person. Uh, Sister, fly high. We will remember you with love. Your beautiful smile will stay with us, a friend posted on her Facebook page. Nino Fortson, 36, was fatally shot in Atlanta on May 13th. City police were nearby executing a traffic stop and rushed to the scene, but Forston later died at hospital, said transgender advocate Monica Roberts. Gigi Pierce, 28, was fatally shot on May 21st in Portland, Oregon. When officers arrived, they tried to administer aid, but Pierce died at the scene. Police investigators say that they believe that Pierce was shot during an altercation with Sophia Adler who's been charged with Pierce's murder, according to KGWTV. Antasha English, 38, was fatally shot or fatally injured in a drive-by shooting in Jacksonville, Florida on June 1st. On her Facebook page, English described herself as independent, a transgender woman who thrives on being the best person she can be. The Jacksonville Sheriff's Office had declared an active murder investigation to ask anyone with information to contact their office. 
Catalina Christina James, 24, was fatally shot in Jacksonville, Florida on June 24th. In an interview with First Coast News, James's mother described her daughter as having a big and bold personality, saying she loved to dance and travel. James is the third transgender woman murdered and the fourth shot in Florida City this year. Keisha Wells, 58, was found dead with a gunshot wound to her abdomen in a parking lot of an apartment complex on june 24th according to cleveland.com a longtime friend of wells described her as the nicest person ever but also a tough cookie (laughs) keisha um that is very lovely i'm that's very beautiful sasha garden 27 was found dead with signs of trauma in orlando florida early uh, july 19th originally from wisconsin garden is remembered by loved ones as a firecracker who didn't hold anything back Friend and local transgender activist uh, Mulan Montrese uh, Williams recalls that Garden was a talented and inspiring, an aspiring hairstylist and had been saving money to fund her transition. Diamond Stevens, 39, was shot to death on June 18th in Meridian, Mississippi. In interviews with a local television station, family members said that Stevens had an incredible personality. Uh, as is too often the case in the reporting of anti-transgender violence, Stevens was originally misgendered in local police statements and media reports, which delayed our awareness of this incident. Uh, this is, I'm reading as it was reported. So it appears that um, local police did not gender, um, they misgendered Diamond Stevens as, say, a man. And uh, so it didn't make it on this list. <sighs> Vontasia Bell, 18, was fatally shot on August 30th in a neighborhood of Shreveport, Louisiana. The Louisiana Trans Advocates Organization released a statement condemning the shooting and calling on the city's leaders to help curb violence against the trans community. I don't understand this. I don't understand how I'm even reading this over and over and over and over that this is happening, and yet there are people who still believe somehow that it's fine transgender people are just sick and gross and disgusting apparently there are people out there that believe this and people that want to murder other trans people this is not something that's up for debate this is a human rights issue and make anyone read a list of of all these people that have been murdered and you will see in short order that they too will have a moment of complete their brains just like it's gone. It's, it's, it's like, it's done. It's like your brain just explodes for a moment. Uh, let's continue. Uh, Dejane Stanton 24 was found with a fatal gun wound to the head on August 30th. According to media reports after an autopsy, her death was ruled as ho- as a homicide and the investigation is still ongoing. Uh, quote, every time you saw her, she had a smile on her face, said uh, Lasea Wade, executive director of Brace Space Alliance. She was still trying to live her best life as a young girl. Shanti Tucker, 30, was found with a fatal gunshot wound to the be- um, in the back in Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania, on September 5th. Friends and family honored her life and mourned her death on Facebook, recalling that she was like another big sister to them and remembering her as a beautiful and f- spirit and fun aura london moore 20 was found dead on multiple of multiple gunshot 
wounds in a remote area of Northport, Florida on September 8th. Moore is remembered by her family and other loved ones who described her as hilarious and someone who has made everyone laugh all the time. Lastly, Nikki uh, Enrique, 28, was one of four women killed in September in what local officials describe as a serial killing spree allegedly carried out by an intel supervisor for the U.S. Border Patrol. Enrique, who also went by the name Janelle, is survived by numerous loved ones that were sad and in disbelief at her death. A cousin of Veronica Castillo described her as a very outgoing person who loved to party and was beloved by the local LGBT community. So, Laura Lynn Thompson, if you're listening, these are just like just a handful of the people that have been hurt and harmed by uh, miseducation, by discrimination, by hatred. This is what Soji is out there to change. It is out there not to say you can't be uh, religious, you can't have certain beliefs, but to tolerate one another and to be kind to one another. And that is something that I really hope that anyone who is listening, anyone who knows anyone can drive home in the most loving of way. Please be kind to one another, uh, love each other, and uh, whatever you do, just try to welcome change with uh, love. So that is it for today's show. That was a different show. I wasn't expecting a show like that. And to tell you the truth, I actually thought for a moment there that I was going to have to uh, go off air and put on music. And like, even now I feel that I'm going to have to do the same because uh, it's, it's tough. This is a really, really tough show to do. But um, again, if any of us can make a difference, if any of us can say anything, do anything, reach out to anyone, uh, please do it. And if you see anyone out there in life, just engage them with a hug. That is my favorite thing to do is to give a hug to anyone I see and meet because you never know what's going on in their lives. You never know how you can impact them and make their lives better. So I'm not going to do anything fancy. I'm not going to do any playing myself out. There's no sound effects for the show. There's nothing else to say. I just will say thank you to CITR for giving me this platform to be able to go out and um, advocate for inclusion and intersectionality in schools and to help change minds in a loving, positive way. Thank you very much. I'd like to thank uh, Dora Duber. I'd love to thank the lovely Simon Garib, uh, Miles Black, who does all of her amazing music here at the station. Uh, I also need to thank Madeline Taylor, my lovely Madeline. I love you. Without you, I am nothing. Um, of course, there's Alec Christensen, who is a new addition to my crew as I walk down this yellow brick road of life. I have a Tin Man. I have a Dorothy. I don't know. I'm probably Toto, I guess. I don't, I don't know what I would be. Maybe I'm like a fly monkey. That's what I am. I'm the fly monkey. Um, but thank you to everyone who's in my life. Uh, I really do appreciate it. We are going to play, uh, some music here and then that's it. Good night folks. And as I always say, don't forget to tip your drag queen.
That's all, folks. 